book of 2 Peter, and we are just going to finish up with chapter 2 today, and then slip into chapter 3. There's one thing I wanted to mention in chapter 2. In chapter 2, I mean, Peter just, just goes ballistic on false teachers. He really, both barrels, he starts firing. Uh, and and he, he has little mercy <clears throat> upon false teachers. And uh, I want to, what we can glean from this is some of the characteristics of those false teachers that were so troubles, troubling to him. And there's one other characteristic. Last week we, we focused on, on uh, this verse. It says, <clears throat> it says um, verse 10, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Last week we talked about uh, uh, the sensualness and the you know our society and what it, what it tries to draw us into. I want to look at the second aspect. They despise authority. This whole thing of authority. There's this feeling that hey, you know, I, I, I'm my own man. I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. I'm just fine. I know what to do. <clears throat> Let me tell you, that is a prescription for disaster in your life. Because the, the word of God is continually drawing us to learn how to submit one to another. Just to submit, I, ju I just lost this feed, but now it just came back on. To submit one to another in, in, uh, uh, in marriage, it says, submit one to another. And, and then also, also uh, uh, it, it talks about learning how to submit to the authority in the church, learning how to submit to God. Now, this is not a religion that, that is, is, is dominated in submission. It's a, it's a faith that's dominated in relationship with God. And it is a willful submission. I submit myself to you. It's not a domination. Domination is contrary to the gospel. Domination is contrary to the gospel. It is a willingness to submit. And that's why we've looked many times in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul exhorts us to now offer ourselves as a living and holy sacrifice. He doesn't command us. He exhorts us to offer ourselves a willing submission. But Jesus, commit, Jesus when Jesus spoke of the understanding of authority in one's life, he equated it to faith. So I want to look at, at, uh, at this, this portion in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 1. Luke chapter 7, reading from verse 1. <clears throat> when he completed his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurions, centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. <clears throat> For I am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. 
Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he turned and he said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So there is a centurion, a Roman centurion. So this is a Roman commander. And and, uh, um, this Roman commander has a slave that he really likes and he's sick. And he sends to Jesus through his friends, he sends to Jesus through the Jewish authorities, he says, would you ask this Jesus to come, ask this Jesus to heal my, my slave. And they come to Jesus, when the Jewish elders came to him, uh, they, they said, they said uh, he is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way to them. This centurion loved the Jewish nation. He underwrote the building of their synagogue. This is not the Roman government that's going to pay for this. This man individually underwrote the building of their synagogue. That's how much he loved the Jewish people. God told Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Jesus hears that this man has been good to the Jewish people that he loves the nation of Israel, and that he has built them a synagogue, and immediately Jesus gets up and he's on his way to take care of this centurion slave. Jesus did not always go immediately to minister to anyone, particularly Gentiles, because he had a ministry primarily to the Jews. Now, there were areas of the world that he walked into, areas of the Palestinian area that he walked into, and sometimes when he'd go up, up, up near, near on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in particular, and then also up in the north, north, uh, the, the northwestern part of the nation. But here, he hears that this centurion loves the nation, and he immediately goes to care for him. When you do good things for Israel, when you love Israel, and you do good things for them, God sees it because he made a promise to Abraham. All right, so Jesus is on his way, and while he's on his way, the centurion sent other people and said, don't even bother coming to my house. I'm not worthy to have you here. I'm a man under authority, and I have people under me. I say to this this soldier, go, and he goes. To this one, come, and he comes. And Jesus, it says, when Jesus heard this, it says in verse 9 of Luke chapter 7, now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him. And he said to the crowd that was following, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. I haven't seen such great faith as I just saw displayed today in Israel. He marveled. Jesus marveled. Jesus wasn't frustrated. Many times Jesus was frustrated at at his disciples' lack of faith. Here he marvels at the degree of faith because this man understood authority. He understood that Jesus had authority to do the healing, to take care of the healing. And he understood authority himself. He was a man under authority, he said, and he had people under him. Jesus somehow parallelized the understanding of authority with faith. The understanding of authority with faith. I take authority very seriously. So I am under authority in this body of Christ, in this church. 
I am under authority of the pastor. If the pastor says to me, you, you know, if, 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 uh, um, uh, if the pastor calls me, you know, I, I, I jump a little bit. I, I, what did I do now? You know, be, because, because I understand there's a line of authority here. If the pastor were to say, Jim, we're going to do something else with the class, probably better, you don't teach, we need, we need, some, uh, we need some younger guy in here. You know, somebody with, with spiked hair and tight pants and somebody that can relate better to young people. That day, I would step down because I'm under authority, and I understand that. I'm a, I'm a man under authority. I respect authority. When I look at Moses, everyone that opposed Moses' authority, like, terrible things would happen to them. Like, the ground would open up and swallow them and their whole families. I understand authority. Jesus equates the understanding of authority with Faith. So when people come to me and they say, you know, my, my home's a mess, my wife doesn't listen to me, my kids don't listen to me, I'm like, it doesn't surprise me because you don't have authority in your own life. Uh, you, you rarely ever come to church. You have no relationship with the leadership in church. Uh, uh, they're not speaking into your life and you're not, you're not receiving from them. It's the understanding of authority. So I do this at work as well. There are people... For example, there's going to be a new chair of my department, a new chairperson of my department. I recommended him to the dean. He is much younger than me. I was there when he got hired. I was there on his tenure committee. I was there when he got tenure, when he got promoted. He is going to be the chairperson of the department. I will therefore be submitted to him. Now, I would talk to him and he would take my advice, as he, as he often does, but ultimately the decision is his. It is not a matter of seniority in the years that I've been in the department over him. It's not a matter of that at all. It is that he is, he is uh, uh, going to be the chair of the department. There is a dean over him. I was there when the dean first got hired as, a, as an assistant professor. And now he's the dean. So I am under his authority, and I respect that. Everyone who has gotten, that I've seen, and I've seen this many years, I've been, at, remember, I went to the university when I was 18 and I've never left. So I've seen a lot of people come and go. Every cocky professor that felt that they had the upper hand over the administration ultimately lost. The administration runs the university. Now, collectively, the faculty have a lot of say, but the administrators run the university because they're the ones that can tell the locksmiths go and change the lock on that professor's door. And that happens. I've seen that happen. I've even seen it happen to a dean at one point. And so, so uh, uh, because there's people over the dean. So uh, um, understanding authority will help you enormously in your work. You're learning how to appeal to authority, learning how to honor authority, not speaking ill of authority. You may think ill of them for things that they have done, but I urge you, do not speak about it. Do not publicly speak about these sorts of things. You can appeal to them and explain to them why you think that this is a, a, a troubling sort of decision that they're making. And from what I have seen, they're generally open to at least to listen to you, to hear this. But ultimately, they are the authority. So the understanding of authority will take you a long way in your faith, in your home, and in your work. Okay, so let's read on. Let's read on now in, in, in 2 Peter chapter 
chapter 3. So we finished 2 Peter chapter 2, and we, we finished a lot of that next week, last week as well. Let's move on to 2 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and, by, and, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Okay, so Peter says, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you. So presumably the first letter was First Peter. Now, admittedly, there might have been another letter that's been lost that we don't have, but it, it follows that this would be the second letter because this is Second Peter. There was First Peter before it, which we've already covered. This is the second letter I'm writing to you, meaning that he's writing to the same group of people there in Asia Minor, these, these Messianic Jews, these Jews that believe Jesus is the Messiah. And he says, this is the second one I'm writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind. He says, you, you guys have a sincere mind. He's praising them. He's speaking well of them. This is a good thing to do for leadership. I mean, there are hard words that sometimes have to be delivered. And here, in this case, he is speaking, he is saying to them, look, you have a sincere mind. He's praising them. So when you're in leadership, remember, along with correction, has to come praise as well. And you will often see this in, in epistles that Paul writes. When he writes, he starts the, the first couple of paragraphs, he's thinking of all the good things that he can think of regarding those people. And then he just lays into them. Uh, but he, he does try to key in on the fact that there are good things that they are doing. When you're in leadership, so much of what you have to do when you're in leadership is to become a motivational speaker. That's a lot of what good leadership is. If you come in every day and just, you know, spitting and cursing about how miserable this place is to work, I'll tell you, the people under you will have the same attitude about working for you. But if you come in speaking well of the place, and I always tell people, I say, Rice University is the best employer I've ever had. And, and it is. And, and uh, uh, best employer, I've, I've been employed by other universities, I've been employed by other places, I think Rice University is good, good place to work, a great place to work, and I tell people that. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so when you encourage the people who are under you, that's very important, just a word of encouragement can do so much. You come out of my group meeting, you know, we wrap up these subgroup meetings where everybody is reporting on their work, and, and uh, I sit there for four hours on a Thursday afternoon, and different groups come in, and, and, I, and I speak to them about their research, and they each present, and I will say, you guys are doing great work, really great work. You know, for me, this is like being a kid in a candy store. I mean, you bring me all of these things, and, get, and I get so excited about this, and, and uh when I say this, I really mean it. I really mean it. I love this stuff. You know, sometimes I say, what you've given me today, I think I will just skip home today. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to know that I appreciate what they do. If they weren't there, I'd have to do all that grunt work in the laboratory that they do. You know, here I can just sit back in my office and surf the internet all day, and they bring me these results. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great arrangement. And, and uh, I'm thankful to them for what they do. And I let them know it. This is what he's saying. He's complimenting them. He says, you guys have a sincere mind. 
So then he goes on. He says, stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember. All right? By way of reminder that you should remember. Remember the, 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 the key word in this whole epistle of Second Peter, Second Peter is remembrance. And so, for example, if you, if you look in, in, in that same book, Second Peter, but now chapter 1, verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12 of Second Peter, it says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of the things, uh, of these things. I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, and also my Lord, as my Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent at any time after my and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. So over and over again, he says you need to remember. And I'll tell you, so much of education is just reminding people what they already know. So much of, of, uh, of teaching the scriptures is just reminding people what they already know. My daughter has said to me on multiple occasions, she says, Dad, you only have three messages. You only have three Christian messages. You say the same three messages all the time, over and over again. She said, I know them all. I could even say them all. I could give the messages. You know how, she used to tell me this when she was a teenager. You know how teenagers are. They like to get a rise out of their parents. And they, but in a way, she's right. I mean, what are the messages that I give over and over again? It's getting into the Word of God, how important that is, over and over again, the importance of the Word of God, and reminding people over and over again. Because I'll tell you, out of sight, out of mind, if you are not in the Scriptures, you will very quickly begin to forget what the Scriptures say, and you will start going back to your old habits. Very quickly. Uh, this is why it's so important to do exactly what the Bible says, to be every day, every day, every day in the Word of God. Every day in the Word of God. So important. Every, every week, it says, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together as is the habit of some. So they would gather together on the first day of the week. This is what we do. We gather together on the first day of the week. If you get out of the habit, and because of COVID, many people got out of the habit of gathering together, what will happen is you will soon pay a price for it because you will begin to forget. These things will start moving away from your mind. The whole thing about being together in fellowship is that we're reminding each other what we are to be about. This is an important thing to do. Just this week, I was speaking on the phone to a young man who did not want to be speaking with me. He said, well, why was, it was actually a Zoom call. And he said, well, why were you speaking to him? Because of his mother. His mother was deeply concerned. She had gotten out of the habit of going to church for three years. It was initially catalyzed by COVID. And now her son, who was now 18, has rejected the church and moved away from this. And so, so as a result, as a result of, 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 of this that was happening, she was deeply now deeply concerned for her son because he had, in his own mind, he, he said, you know, I, I got to thinking about this. 
And I thought, you know, th this isn't true. This isn't true. This is, this is a fairy tale. And I'm like, you, as an 18-year-old, in three minutes of reflection, have now thrown out the whole Bible that has been studied by scholars for thousands of years and embraced by so many. You figured out, in three minutes, all by yourself, that this is a bunch of fairy tales. And, and, uh, but now she was deeply concerned. You get out of the habit of reminding yourself of these things, your family will get out of the habit of reminding themselves of these things. This is so important to diligently every day be in this. And he says, it's no problem for me to remind you. I'll remind you over and over again. No problem for me to remind you. I will give you the same message over and over again. I mean, I routinely talk about the importance of being in the Word of God because if I know that if you are regularly in the Scriptures, regularly in the Word of God, you will be okay. You will be okay because they will challenge you. The Scriptures themselves will challenge you. It will challenge us to, to continue to, to improve ourselves. This is this constant reminder. And then it will challenge us to be in fellowship, how important fellowship is. It reminds us. So he says, I'm reminding you. He says, you already know this, but I'm reminding you of this. And then he says in verse 2, so that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So he's saying to them, there is this instruction that I have for you. He says, I want you to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. He's speaking about the, uh, what is our Old Testament. He says, remember the words spoken by the holy prophets. He says, this is your life. This is your life. Moses said, take this. It is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. Moses said, this is our life. Remember the words of these holy prophets. I'll tell you, you get out of this book for even a few weeks and then a few months, you will begin to forget that the words spoken by the holy prophets were the very words of God. God has penned these words. And these words came through the holy prophets. They brought this word to us. This is the very words of God. Remember, this is not describing to us what the world is like. This is not a description of how the world runs. No, this is a description of how the universe operates. Other books tell us how the world runs. The scriptures define how the operation shall go. The word comes first, the universe follows. The word of God comes first, the universe follows. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. In the beginning was the word. That information, that word set the universe in motion and controls how the universe operates. That's the very scriptures that we have. This word is the words of God that has defined how the universe operates. So when the word of God informs us of these things, it's, it's reminding us that this is so important because this is the very words of God. He said it was spoken by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. These are the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your, the apostles. Because the, the apostles are the ones that recorded this, that recorded the words of Jesus, wrote these things down for us. And Jesus said, if anyone loves me, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. 
If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments. Our love for God is demonstrated not by how many Hail Marys we say, not by how much money we give. It's that Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's how he, that's how he distinguishes, that's how he measures our love for him, by the keeping of commandments. He said that. And he said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. God the Father will love you if you keep the commandments of Jesus, and Jesus and his Father will come and make their abode with you. That's what he said. These are the very commandments of God, and they were recorded by the apostles. By John, recorded that and penned that in what is given to us as the gospel according to John. These are the very words of Jesus. This is what he says. He says, I remind you about this, that these are the scriptures. These are the important things. The things spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your prophets. If we look in this same book, chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 12 again, chapter 1, verse 12 of Second Peter. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. He's reminding them over and over again. He reminds us. And then if you look in, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Romans chapter 15, verse 4, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written was, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So, for example, I was, I was sitting with a young man, and, and uh, um, I was trying to encourage him in his career. And I was giving him the example that I'd given you many times before. Let me remind you of the man named Bezalel in Exodus chapter 31, where Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit, the first person in the Bible to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and God gave him wisdom and understanding and knowledge in all kinds of craftsmanship. God gave him that. And how I prayed, Lord, make me like Bezalel. Make me like Bezalel. Give me the creativity of Bezalel. And this young man said to me, that, that was written for that guy in that time. And I knew exactly what he was getting at. He was trying to say, that was written for Bezalel, not for you. Why do you take what was written for him and apply it to yourself? Because it says, for whatever was written in earlier times was written for my instruction. It was written for me. That was put there for me. Not so I can just learn about what God did with Bezalel, but so that I can see what God does with a man. When he takes him, fills him with the Holy Spirit, and empowers him. It was written for my instruction, so that through the perseverance, through, through perseverance, where we persevere, you press through a lot of things in life, through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If that was just for Bezalel, why should it do anything for me? That just tells me that God's blessing some guy 3,000 years ago. What does that do for me? It does for me because... God put it there to encourage me, to encourage you. He put it there so we would say, wow, this is what God does with a simple tradesman. This is what God does with a tradesman. 
He fills him with knowledge, first with, with uh, 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 wisdom, with understanding, and then with knowledge in all types of craftsmanship. And then you just look through all the things that Bezalel could do. And I said, Lord, do that in my life and do that in the life of my students who are working in my laboratories. Father, fill them with creativity. Fill them with creativity. And as I was speaking to this young man who was a musician studying music, I said, take this. Say, Lord, make me the best musician. Do this in me. And then he's trying to, to somehow water this down, that this is for some, somebody else. And I have to show him, this is what the scriptures do. They take us, they take us, and they're supposed to say, here's what he does in the life of people. Lord, do that in my life. And I told him, these words were written about Jesus. Does that mean it doesn't apply to us? This is exactly what it says. For whatever was written in earlier times, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, whatever, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We might have hope. We have hope. And it takes perseverance. Nobody's going to break down all these barriers in your life anymore. You're all grown up now. Nobody's going to, you, you know, uh, uh, people may say things that offend you. Well, get used to it. That's kind of what li life is like. And if you're going to walk with Jesus, people will say a lot of things about you. When you go through life, not everybody's going to take down all the barriers in front of you anymore. Not going to happen. There are things that you have to persevere through. This is part of what there is in life. Things that you have to persevere through. And it says, through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. We have hope because of the scriptures. And this is what he says. He says, I want you to remember. Remember the scriptures. Remember what you have. This book that we have is an absolute treasure. These are the very words of God that have defined the universe, that have defined what shall happen with men and women. This defines it. This is our book. That's why Moses said, this is your life. Peter says, I remind you of this. I remind you of this. You've got that which is spoken by the Holy Prophets, the Old Testament. You've got the commandments of Jesus, the writings of the apostles in the New Testament. You've got this. This is your life. He says, I'm reminding you about this. I want you to remember this. Take hold of it. This is your life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. Blessed be your name. Thank you for your word, O oh God. Father, I pray that these young people would remember. They would remember that this word is a treasure. And that they would respect this word as the very words of God that have been spoken. Father, I pray that you would teach them about authority. That they would walk in authority. And then, therefore, be granted authority. Because you parallelize authority with faith. Father, I pray you do that in their lives. Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are listening. Lord, do a great work in their lives to draw them to Jesus. Father, save souls, I pray. Draw them to Jesus. Turn them to Jesus, I pray. Father, let me see a soul saved today. Lord, I want to rejoice with Jesus. Let me see that happen today. Oh, Father, if souls, 
be not saved. What are we doing here? Father, there are so many lost lives around us. Can I not see but one today? Let me see a salvation today. Glory be to your name, Lord Jesus. And I commit these young people into your loving hands for your glory. Amen.